Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Starting off this week, I've got a giveaway to put on your radar. This is one I've been quite curious about myself. The latest novel from Stephen King marks the return of a familiar face. If you've read any of King's other novels in the Bill Hodges series anyway. I finally got around to listening to the Institute a few months back on audiobook, so this one's been on my radar for a little while. Stephen King's new suspense novel, Holly, is out now. Holly Gibney, one of Stephen King's most compelling and ingeniously resourceful characters, returns in this thrilling novel to solve the gruesome truth behind multiple disappearances in a Midwestern town. It's available to buy wherever you get your books, in physical or digital form. Or, you can follow us on social media for your chance to win a copy of your own. Keep your eyes peeled this weekend to get your claws on your own digital copy. And, if you do pick it up, or happen to win it, I'd love to know what you think. A most horrifically heartfelt thanks goes out this week to the newest members of our undead army, 
patrons Dave Baxter and Brendan Williams-Childs. Thank you from the bottom of our cold, blackened hearts, Dave and Brendan. It's the support of twisted individuals like yourselves that keep this infernal machine churning and oozing terrible things into the ears of our listeners, and we appreciate it more than simple words can say. If you'd like to join Dave and Brendan behind the veil, visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify and sign up. We've got some deviously delightful updates in the works for our patrons that we're hoping to drop before the end of the year, so it's the perfect time to join. But for now, let's feed some of this darkness into your eager ears, shall we? Our first story of the evening comes from Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson is a writer in Madison, Wisconsin. His work has appeared in Fiction International, the I-70 Review, Louisiana Literature, and many other journals. When not writing fiction, he enjoys performing in a traditional Celtic band. Children of the Night, join me for Scott Peterson's Handsome Dan, a Tales to Terrify original. Wake up, Trevor yelled through Dan's bedroom door, half ajar. There was no answer. Trevor headed up to the barn, propelled by the thought of all the things he needed to catch up on, plus his usual impatience. Where the hell's Dan? The barn was quiet. Trevor had gone for just one day, on a trip to find a good-used combine, but the barn now had an unfamiliar air. He swung his head towards the silo visible through the loft window. He climbed the makeshift ladder to the loft and walked across the widely spaced floorboards. The silo hatch door was open and creaking slightly when the breeze caught it. He inserted his head and looked down. Back outside, Trevor sat on the shed steps and pulled out his small spiral-bound notebook, filled with to-do lists half done. He flipped to the back, where he sometimes indulged himself, thinking his poetic thoughts and verse worth preserving, he wrote. Handsome Dan, the hired hand, falls into the silo. No one's round to hear a sound. Find him on the morrow. That was Scott Peterson's Handsome Dan, as read by Seth Williams. Seth Williams is the managing editor here at Tales to Terrify. He has narrated stories for Tales to Terrify, Far-Fetched Fables, and Starship Sofa. When not day-jobbing, he enjoys listening to fiction podcasts and audio drama. He shares his life with an amazing partner, dog, and a cat. Thank you, Seth. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Our second tale tonight comes from J.V. Gotch. J.V. Gotch is a Spanish classicist and writer currently working as a Latin teacher. Writing in English and Spanish, her work has been featured in anthologies like Scott J. Moses's What One Wouldn't Do and Chelsea Pumpkin's Ah, That's What I Call Horror. Her first novel, Epiphany, will be released by Off Limits Press in December of 2023. Obsessed with sudden death, ghosts, and female villains, she always writes with a cat or two in her lap. Listen with me, children of the night, to J.V. Gotch's The Bleeding Ghost, a Tales to Terrify original. Don't worry, Nina. Dead men can't die twice. Those were the last words ever uttered by the bleeding ghost of my family's barn. As mother forced my head to turn around to spare me witnessing his second death, he winked at me. She covered my eyes with her calloused hands, and the guns went off. Six men in soldiers' uniform cheered when silence should have fallen upon us all. Tears of fear tasted salty in my mouth, but his final words dried my eyes at once, hardened my heart. A wealthy family from Madrid took me in as a maid the very next day, despite me being only eight years old. It was the forties. The smell of war was still clinging to our skin. I was on a train with an almost empty suitcase as soon as the sun rose. Mother had too many empty stomachs 
and too many pleading wide eyes to be able to cope, to hold us all, to even love us all. The widow of an anarchist wasn't going to have it easy in the new world. A daughter claiming to see ghosts was the last thing she needed. A daughter helping out a fugitive? Even less so. I haven't thought about him in years. My lonely ghost. My friend. Bearded and skinny. So pale you could see his blue and red veins through his skin. Bleeding. Blood forever sticky. Never dried. Watching the golden fields of Castilla fly by the car's window. It's all coming back to me. Not slowly, but in crashing waves. The whitened scar in my forearm hurts, as if brand new. The story I invented for it dissolves as the real memories break all my defenses. It's been thirty years since I came here last. The bitter promise to never return unless Mother was cold dead wasn't hard to keep. I couldn't refuse my sister's plea for help to empty the house, though. It's going on the market next month. None of us intend to live there. None of us wants to set foot inside it ever again, either. But it is what it is. Duty calls. My little sister first told me about the ghost of the barn when I was eight, while we held each other tightly in bed to chase away the winter. Of course, I didn't believe her. At six years old, what could she know about death, about ghosts? She didn't even remember Dad's corpse, cold and still. But I've seen him. He is there, she whispered, stubborn, and he bleeds. Everyone knows spirits can't bleed. Their hearts don't beat. It's basic stuff, you idiot. I shut her up and pretend to go to sleep facing the wall, not minding winter's dampness seeping into my bones. But curiosity had dug its claws to my mind. I had to see for myself she was nothing more than a filthy liar, which, turned out, she wasn't. Seeing him wasn't easy at first glance, certainly not from the outside, but I was brave then, wasn't I? Courage hadn't been beaten out of me yet. So, upon entering the barn, I announced my presence. My sister says there's a ghost in here, I cried out loud. I will punch her in the face if she has been lying to me, so if you want to spare her a nosebleed, better show yourself. Mean little thing, a gravel voice in which a smile could be sensed, whispered from one of the darkest corners of the top floor. As I looked up, half his face came into the blue light of the morning. Are you afraid? The face whose lips I could not yet see asked. Never. I was my father's daughter, after all. Come up here, the ghost replied, disappearing into darkness again. The wood ladder had always terrified me, but showing it was not an option. I clung to it and climbed it with my eyes firmly shut, trusting my body to know what to do on its own. When I felt the last of the steps, I opened my eyes and threw myself onto the top floor, 
My eyes weren't used to the darkness, and it took them a moment to make sense of the bulge in the corner. To see the bright crimson reflection, the brown dry spots on the floor. You are no ghost. You are just a man, I said. I don't think I will ever leave this barn, so I guess I am more of a spirit with one foot and a half in the afterworld and one toe still in this one. Better start the haunting early. Ghosts don't bleed. This one does, Nina. The reddest blood there is, he replied with a smirk as he showed me his wet red hands. Under the scarce light of morning, his skin was almost completely white. Not pale. Linen white. His eyes, surrounded by circles so dark, eight-year-old me had no doubt whatsoever he was, indeed, the ghost he claimed to be. The bleeding ghost was covered in dirt, dried and fresh. No man alive would look so ill, so desperate, and hide in an abandoned barn. A beating heart would fight against all odds to come back into the light. I had seen his uniform before, the red and black handkerchief. My dad had worn one of those, too. It was still tied to his neck when they brought home his limp body, and Mother cried over his corpse on the kitchen table for a whole night and a whole day. She cried and cried until the well of love dried up inside her, not even a drop left for us. You know, ghosts not only do bleed, but they most certainly drink, he admitted. That's when I noticed his chapped lips, his stiff tongue struggling to talk. Will you hurt me if I don't fetch you some water? The question burst from deep inside my stomach before I could stop myself. No, you look just like your father, he replied, and from what I see, he was one of us. An anarchist's daughter has nothing to fear. He's right here, your papa, guarding you. He says he is proud of you. My first and last sacrifice to the bleeding ghost of the barn was an orange. It might not seem worthy of said title nowadays, but it truly was a big deal for a northern Spanish girl in 1940. The mayor of our small town had presented my mother a dozen of those sweet sons as a special thank you for being his latest child's wet nurse. The mayor's new wife, a pretty little thing whose first marriage with a traitor to the nation had been declared unlawful in the eyes of God by the Vatican, was too sick with sadness to care for the boy. She might not be allowed to call herself a widow, but she hurt like one nonetheless. My siblings and I were given one orange each. We had never seen one before, let alone taste it. The other eight were going to be turned into jam by our crafty mother so they would last longer. I took my prize and ran away from the rest of the family. Tasting it in front of them would have been embarrassing. Much to my mother's desperation, I was a picky eater when I was a child. You don't get to be fussy when food is scarce, but I couldn't help it. 
My stomach closed and turned. Food revolted inside me, refusing to stay put. Mother always complained it was my father's fault because he had always had a soft spot for me. Because he never hit me. Love was his thing, not punishment. Love used to be her thing, too. What would happen if the orange made me sick? It would be disrespectful. Mother was cooking. My siblings were running around, eating their oranges, yelling. High on sugar, I guess. We had already attended the mandatory morning mass, something we never did when Father was alive. But since the war started, and he was brought home with eyes open and a still heart, Mother said we ought to, if we wanted to survive. We needed to blend. She certainly took some extra steps in the blending front, to the point of forgetting the woman she had been before the war, before suffering broke her, before the hunger. I decided the bleeding ghost would appreciate the orange more than I would. He was tucked away from curious eyes in the corner, behind a rusting wheel, covered with the old blanket I stole for him from the cord where my mom had hung the clean white bedsheets. I have a sacrifice for you, I said, waking him up. He snorted, half asleep at my choice of words. And you want something in return for it, I assume. His voice was now soft, like a calf's warm fur, but it sounded tired. I want to see my dad, or talk to him. The bleeding ghost sat up straight and inspected my expression. I had been visiting him for a week, and I had never asked for anything. I brought him water and the leftovers of the food my stomach wouldn't let through. So far, Mother hadn't noticed, and I was happy to provide her with empty plates and no more pickiness. I had also managed to bring him some of my late father's books, the ones my mother hadn't burned anyway, and he had read some passages for me. They felt forbidden and dangerous, and I loved every minute of the time I spent listening to him. What is it you have to offer? he asked. The orange was bigger than my fist, shining as if it had a light of itself. The fruit erased the space between us. The smell of citric skin filled the barn. The smell of oranges still gives me goosebumps. He took it in his hands. His nails were dark, brown with dried blood. The bleeding hadn't stopped, but I tried to supply him with clean pieces of cloth I stole from the women washing on the riverbank so he could stay clean, more or less. Where did you get this? he asked with a trembling voice as he took the orange to his nose and inhaled deeply. Oh, God! Do you want some, Nina? I will abide by your demands, even if you only give me half. Maybe just a tiny piece. It smelled so good I couldn't resist, and I wasn't embarrassed to try it in front of him. A dead man wouldn't judge me or scold me. He peeled the orange and offered me one segment of it. I held it in my hand hesitantly while he put a whole one in his mouth. 
He moaned when his teeth broke the slice's skin, delivering an explosion of sweetness to his tongue. I licked my share and couldn't understand his excitement. It was somewhat sour. Bite it. You'll like it, he said, eating another one. I trusted him. We ended up splitting the orange in two, sitting close to each other. Being able to touch him came as a surprise, but he was as cold as the water in the river. No one I've ever touched before has ever been so cold. Only my father's body was, when they finally took my mother away from him, and I managed to sneak into the kitchen and touch him. I was sure I would be able to wake him up only if I whispered in his ear our secret words and kiss his forehead. His skin remained frozen as this one's, even after I cast my spell on him. When we finished the orange, he took my hand. I'll need some matches, at least one candle, chalk, and I'm afraid you'll have to provide some of your young blood if you want to see him as I do. I must warn you, there's nothing pretty behind the veil. It's not a nice place, nor a nice view. I would already be there if it were. You sure you want a peek? Stealing the matches and some candles from church was the easy part. We had pieces of chalk to play with. Hiding the kitchen knife proved to be a challenge, but leaving my shared bed was the most difficult task of them all. The ritual had to be performed at night, with the new moon, when our share of the world was completely engulfed in darkness. There were only two nights to wait until the ritual could be performed, but they felt like whole weeks, months, but finally the world was devoured by a dense, freezing night. I had to wait for a long time until I could barely hear my sister's breathing to leave the bed, cross the house, and run through the field barefoot. Tiny stones and twigs hurt my feet, but I didn't care. I was going to see my father again. He wouldn't be cold and alone any more. The bleeding ghost's eyes were gray and deep. His blonde hair was longer than any men's I've encountered. His hands were soft, as if he had never used them for work for a single day in his entire life. Even at eight, I recognized the immense beauty in him. Now that we are driving back, I look at my husband in the driver's seat. Hum, I never realized how he much resembles my ghost. Stronger, maybe. Healthier, for sure. He notices my eyes glued to him, glances at me, smiles, takes my hand, and kisses it. My eyesight, when I reached the top floor of the barn, the night of the ritual, was used to the dark because I had been awake, looking out of the window for so long before leaving the house. It wasn't difficult to see the ladder and climb to him with all the utensils he had demanded— plus one of the loaves of bread that were cooling down in the kitchen. Mother would blame it on someone, if not everyone, but that was tomorrow's problem. Thank you, I appreciate it, he murmured, taking a bite. Your mom can bake for sure. I guess. 
She worked with my father in the bakery before the war. Now it's run by another family. We even had to move, I said, as if I clearly remembered any of that. But the truth was that any life before the war, the kitchen table, before my father's corpse, was blurry, to say the least. Only the memories of my father weren't. Those remained as clear as the ghost in front of me. Are you ready? I am ready, I replied, not fully aware of what I was signing up for. The pain was unbearable as the knife broke the skin on my arm. The bleeding ghost had given me one of the pieces of clothing I had stolen for him to bite on. It was crunchy with blood, coppery on my tongue. Screaming was not an option. We need blood to lure them in. They are starving, roaming around desperate for life. Blood is the source of life. They still remember it pulsing through their bodies, even if they have no bodies left. And fire, light, so we don't get lost there. Pain to keep them at bay. They also remember pain. Not only my pain was required, his too. He lit the candle and let the wax drip in the palm of his hand until the candle could stand still on his delicate skin. It burned and dripped over his palm. In the shivering light of the candle, his eyes looked alive for the first time. Draw a circle around us, he ordered. Your father might bring unwanted company with him, and we don't want to be dragged by them into the Crimson Sea. His voice sounded scared for the first time since the day I met him. I followed his rules. The piece of chalk was tiny, and I was afraid it wouldn't have enough life left in it to draw a full circle. I sat inside it, facing him. Then, left hand burning, right hand holding the knife, he gave me the cloth and started cutting my arm. Now we bond he said, holding my arm tightly and putting my wound to his mouth. His cold lips on my skin, his teeth in the hurting cuts, his tongue prodding the blood awoke the spiders in my belly. Your turn, he said, pressing his hand to his forever bleeding wound, retrieving it covered in a red liquid. The memory of the taste fills my mouth as we drive past the signpost with my village's name. The metallic feeling in my tongue makes me gag. Are you okay? Do you want me to stop? My husband asks. No, no, it's okay. Keep going, I reply, trying to swallow the memory. I tasted the ghost's blood, licked it from his fingers without complaining. My mother had more trouble making me eat onion than he did. Sitting inside the circle, faces dirty with each other's blood, my heart was beating so fast I thought I would die there and join him in the haunting of the barn. Then his chanting began. Reproducing his words would be as impossible now as it was to understand what he was saying back then. The next thing I knew, there were faces all around us, trying to reach our bloody wounds, 
desperate looks behind dead eyes, rotting skin, teeth showing in lipless faces. Horror showered over my shoulders, making me shiver. The bleeding ghost kept chanting as if nothing had happened. All of a sudden, we weren't in the barn anymore. We were sitting on an island in the middle of a red sea, surrounded by a devastated wasteland. The sky was golden but dark nonetheless. The seaside was dry and thirsty, despite the crimson waves crashing against it. There were huge, leafless trees where the dead sat like ravens, hunched over, necks bending toward the water, some hanging upside down as I had seen bats do in the barn some nights. Some were nothing more than skeletons held together by invisible threads. Others had flesh rotting over the white of their bones. Some looked partly human, but they all were desperate, hungry. Sadness and fear dug into my heart. Was this what waited for us all after death? Then I saw him. My father was coming to our tiny island, walking over the Red Sea. Half my dad, half a skeleton, wearing the red and black handkerchief tied to his neck. Father! I wanted to scream, but my voice didn't carry any sound in that desertic hell. He approached us, but couldn't come inside our tiny island of chalk. Behind the death, behind the hunger and the pain, his eyes showed me his undying love for me. He held out his hand, trying to touch me, but unable to, he took it to his lifeless chest, where I could see his heart through the ribcage. Still, blackened, he pointed at it, then to me, and drew a poor imitation of a smile with the skin he had left. Through the tears in my eyes as I imitated his gesture, I noticed the golden light of the candle fade away. It was going out. There was a rush of wind, a scream coming from somewhere else, and then the night again. The look in my mother's eyes was sheer horror, holding my arm so tightly it hurt as if I had been hanging from a barbed wire fence, blood dripping from the recently open wound. Marita, the bleeding ghost said. The candle, spent, fell from his left hand. Did he know her? How dare you! she muttered before spitting on the floor. How dare you, how dare you put me in this situation? Do what you need to do, Marita. I'm ready. His voice as soft as ever. Exhausted after the ritual. Manuel would never have forgiven you for doing this to us, for putting his kids in danger, for using his child for your stupid seance stuff. She was hard, her voice hoarse, bitter, for making me be the one who, it's okay, Marita, go, it's okay, he repeated. She dragged me out with her, carelessly. Go home, now, and don't get out, she yelled at me. Going home and staying there was not an option, despite my mother's order. The bleeding ghost had just shown me my father's resting place. 
I had drunk his blood, and now I was part of him, and he was part of me. I pretended to go inside for her to see as she ran down the main road. She saw the light in the barn. You weren't here. I had to tell her about the ghost. Don't be mad. My little sister couldn't stop crying when my cheeks turned red and I curled my hands into fists. I couldn't blame her, although I wanted to. It wasn't long before my mother and half a dozen beams of golden lights appeared on the road to the barn. The green of the uniforms would have blended in the night, if not for their weapons, reflecting their lanterns. Following them, still barefoot, bleeding from the open wounds of the ritual, I wanted to fight them all, to send them all to drown in the crimson sea, to rot and starve forever in pain. I ran to my mother, hit her legs with all my might, screamed and protested. He can take us to father. He can give us father back. He's just a ghost. The Guardia Civil men laughed, and my mother slapped me, hard. Don't worry, Nina. Dead men can't die twice. He winked, and the guns went off. I learned not to mention the bleeding ghost ever again when my new employer broke a wooden broomstick over my back, and I couldn't sleep unless I was face down for a whole week. The village priest helped my mother write me letters, to which I only replied because the family I was working for made me. Only when my little sister learned to write did I find a reason to stay in touch with my family. I couldn't ask about the ghost. How did Mother know him? Was anyone taking water to him? The scars on my arm healed. Work was exhausting. Life overwhelming. And so the bleeding ghost and the crimson sea faded, dissolved inside my brain like sugar on milk. Oranges made me cry, and I didn't know why. Until now, facing the old house of my childhood while my husband empties the car. I need a minute, I tell him, pressing his arm and giving him a gentle kiss on the cheek. He nods and kisses my forehead. His lips are warm and soft. The road to the barn has disappeared. Weeds have conquered what humans had stolen. The barn is nothing more than a ruin now. So why would anyone walk there? The ceiling has succumbed to rain and time, but the stone walls were built to last longer than its builders and their children. They stand still, covered in ivy and life. Hesitation takes hold of my heart, but I cross the doorway. The scar on my forearm hurts. Blood drips from it to the floor as if it had just been opened. The smell of oranges fills my senses. The light turns colder. Summer shifts into an old forgotten winter inside its walls. Chills descend my spine. My heart blooms with hope. A beard and lips cold as the river caress my ear. It's taken you long to come back. I told you, Nina. 
Dead men can't die twice. That was J.V. Gotch's The Bleeding Ghost, as read by Maureen McLean. Maureen McLean is an Austin musician plucking the bass with acoustic bands, the Therapy Sisters, and a proper cup of coffee. She earns her keep in the courtroom, interpreting real-life terrifying tales from Spanish to English. Thank you, Maureen. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Amanda Carrillo, Lessel Baxter, Orion D. Higra, and Paul Belcher whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we drift off into Stygian depths with more Tales to Terrify. <laughs>